Hello, and welcome to the Playing With Fire podcast. This is episode number eight. You're here with me, Josh Welton, and my wife, Darla, and we are going to talk about colors in welding and what they mean. So Josh is mostly going to talk about colors and welding because I don't know anything about colors and welding. You have a really colorful hat on, though. I do have a colorful hat on. I was using an adult coloring book earlier. That an my adult coloring book. That sounds. That my da- well, no, it's it's like flowers and stuff, Josh. Oh, okay. <laughs> my dad gave it to me, and it's weird because my dad gave it to me, and I was like, "Oh, cool, where'd you get this?" And he said he won it at a funeral home, <laughs> which is so weird. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I was coloring in my funeral home adult coloring book. How it many gets people have ever? Wait, I want to hear this story. <laughs> I don't know the rest of the Whose story. Whose funeral was he at? I I have no idea what was, was he happening. funeral crashing. Honestly, I think he and my because mom were going to do like planning. Oh. Exactly. Okay. So I sort of cut off the conversation because I didn't really want to talk about gotcha. that. Gotcha. But yeah. So we're using crayons or <laughs> coloring pencils? I was using colored markers? pencils. Okay, yeah. great. So now we're going to talk about <laughs> colors and welds. So a lot of people, you'll get the replies if you, if you post on social media and somebody's like, oh, how'd you get that? You know everyone's going to reply oh it's it's the the heat or it's the gas it's that and it's so much more so many things go into affecting the colors in the in the steels and the metals that you weld or you even put heat to a lot of factors go into it and they always tell a story what that story is sometimes matters and sometimes well it always matters just sometimes it matters more than others so okay first off what are the colors their oxidization. The thicker the, lo- the thicker the layer of oxidization, the darker the color will be. So heating steel to different temperatures manipulates the way the surface of the steel reflects and absorbs light by changes in crystal structure, partially through the production of oxides. So it's all about the way light interacts with the layer that's formed on the steel surface, how opaque the oxide is. The spectrum goes from silver chrome, golds and yellows to reds and deep blues and purples. When steel heats up, its entire molecular structure changes. It undergoes phase transformations. And that's a, I went through metallurgy classes when I was an apprentice at Chrysler and it was stuff that kind of went over my head then. Uh, It's it's a little dense now, but at least now that I've had the hands-on experience for 15, 16 years, it, it all makes more sense. So I would suggest even if you had the classes five years ago or 10 years ago, or if you're doing the classes now, be patient and uh, let your let your real world, world experience kind of fill in some of the gaps and you can go back and it might make a lot, a lot more sense. Now, I also had a guy, uh, Tom Soley, when I was at the National Training Center, uh, the Chrysler UAW Training Center, and he was a welder for 40 years, but he also was very interested in metallurgy. So he would do uh, metallurgy for welders classes and those cool. were yeah those were neat uh, so some of this is kind of dense but I, I think it's all really interesting no matter kind of what your walk of life is uh, it's kind of neat it's sort of magical how a piece of silver steel can turn into something else just by applying some heat so a rainbow of colors in the bead and the heat affected zone well so the heat affected zone is obviously any space where the heat affects the metal. So like if you're, if you're welding, uh, there'll be 
parts of the material beyond just the weld that have heated up to the point where the structure of the steel has changed. This is why when welding you want to control the heat affected zone so you can keep the base materials properties intact. A rainbow of colors in the bead and heat affected zone might look appealing. Uh, they probably do look appealing, uh, but it doesn't automatically make it a good weld and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad weld either. This is where the material and the application matter. So if you're posting a picture on Instagram or Facebook and somebody's like, oh, that, that's too hot or that's too cold, they have no idea what thickness you're welding, what material you're welding, what uh, the certification requires. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot more that goes into it, and that's kind of what we'll, we'll get into as we proceed here. The colors that result depend on the make of the metal, the composition of the atmosphere, and the temperature at which they meet and the duration of the time the metal is exposed to the air at elevated temperatures. Uh, this is the metal oxidizing. So if you, don't, if, you want, if you want no colors, just shield the weld in the heat-affected zone until the weld pool has cooled completely. Then you have a colorless pure steel color weld. So I have a question. Yes. Can you control the color? Like if you were you know, welding for an art piece and you did want it to be like all blue. Can you do that? To an extent, yes. Realistically, you're probably not going to just get a pure blue uh, piece, like tattooed metal piece. Like what like if I want relief. like an all pink piece? <laughs> pink is not typically a color you come across. I mean, you... I feel like I see that. It's, Maybe but it's, it's more it, like I a... think it's uh, an in-between color. Like yeah. there's some colors that you get to a certain temperature and you can keep it at that temperature and expose it to the air at a certain temperature mm -hmm. and you can kind of predict what it's going to do pink isn't a real strong color it's kind of an in-between so i think you're not gonna be able to get a whole pink piece if you can though if somebody can yeah let me know because seriously be i want to see it that would be so i cool. just don't think it's realistically possible same thing with like a, a dark blue uh potentially i think you could if you are exactly the same with how long of the bead you weld, uh, how much gas flow you have, how much post flow you have, uh, where you, which is basically where you expose the weld to the air. You have to know exactly that time. Each time it has to be completely consistent. Uh, and even then, if you're welding one bead next to another bead, you're going to change the color of the bead previously. So you're not going to be able oh, to, I, I think it would be, I think it'd be very difficult Interesting. to do if not impossible. These are the questions that non-welders ask. Well, it's, it's interesting because <laughs> it is, I don't know anything, which is funny. I don't know much you don't about know welding anything. and about yeah, anything. about anything. Just kidding. Yeah. She's very intelligent <laughs> with a lot of knowledge. <laughs> I don't know much about welding, so I hopefully am asking some questions that other people might be thinking. Yeah, and I think this is a topic that non-welders are interested in. Uh, I might be going a little bit dorky for some people, but totally dorky. <laughs> yeah. So some of this, some of this, I'll get into more. Um, I'm kind of trying to follow it because there's so much to it. Just right. trying to sort of follow a map of where we're going with this. So science. Yes, science. Like you said, if you want no colors, you just shield the weld and the heat affected zone until it's cooled down. Then you're just going to get whatever the steel is naturally. Uh, 
higher temperature oxidization usually results in the formation of an oxide layer on the surface of the metal or weld. The thicker oxide layers are called scales, like mill scale, like when you get a piece of steel from the metal shop and it's just been sitting there for a while and it's got kind of that dark gray look. Uh, If you sand that down, it's going to get bright and shiny and that's because you're removing the mill scale. The mill scale is thick, which means it's a dark, dark gray. Uh, The thin oxide layers are called films, which is kind of what we're dealing with. We're dealing with films and tints of colors on on beads. So these layers can be either protective of the metal or destructive, depending on the composition. Like the kind where it's rust and eating away at the steel, that's destructive. Or the mill scale kind of keeps that rust at bay, so it's protective. And those are are just two examples of those, but they're kind of probably the most common ones. The amount of carbon in the base material affects this as well, as does the addition of other materials like manganese, nickel, and chromium. Different alloys do not act the same. So you've got mild steel, you've got chromoly, you've got armored steel, you've got stainless, you've got titanium. All these are are metals that have different chemical compositions. So like with mild steel, with a fresh surface, you've cleaned off the mill scale, there's no surface rust. It'll produce colors when the carbon reacts with the oxygen, and it forms a layer of oxides. The structures of these layers can cause the steel to reflect different wavelengths of light, making them blue. So oh. it's not just stainless that you get colors with. It's all these different materials. And you can even do it with mild as long as you, you prep it right and you know you use the right kind of process. Now, surface oxidization is one thing, but deeper oxidization below the face of the metal causes porosity. This is where shielding gas or flux comes in, as both are designed to protect the hot welded area from atmosphere until the bead and the heat affected zone cool below the necessary temperature so that they're not compromised. On stainless steel, for example, any color in the weld or the heat affected zone shows that a thicker oxide layer has formed, typically with chromium reacting with oxygen at elevated temperatures. This can affect the corrosion resistance. Chromium helps form a self-repairing passive layer that helps resist corrosion. But if too much is pulled out in this reaction, the stainless steel loses its desirable properties. So if there's too much heat or it's not enough or if there's not enough shielding gas and it's allowed to react with the atmosphere, the chromium turns into other things and it isn't what it should be. That makes uh, sense. Yeah. I understand. Science again. Yeah. The higher the chromium content, the more heat resistant the steel and so the development of the heat tint colors are delayed. The darker the color, the thicker the oxidization, the more chromium has been pulled from the material. The colors in stainless steel also follow a predictable pattern, just like mild steel, just like titanium. Uh, they start at kind of a, it starts at kind of a chrome or a straw color, uh, or a chrome or a silver color, and it goes to sort of a straw, gold, yellow, blue. Uh, and the blues and the reds and the purples are, are kind of deeper. And in some industries, so like in the pharmaceutical industry, if you're making medical equipment or, or things like that, uh, anything beyond chrome is unacceptable because that you've just you've burned out too much of the chromium for that application in sanitary welding situations like dairy you're allowed up to light blue and again that's you know there's kind of a an accepted amount of this reaction that's allowed and in stainless steel as long as you haven't burned out too much chromium you're able to mechanically or like so you can sand off the color or you can use chemicals to clean off the color and because the 
uh, because the chromium is a like it actively reacts to make a passive layer, it will re kind of reprotect it. So if you take those colors off and you take all the all the kind of the signs of the oxidization off, you have me hitting a bag. Sorry, you have a piece of steel that's again corrosion resistant, which is kind of interesting. Now. It is interesting. Again, later we'll talk about titanium, and that is not necessarily the case with titanium, but that is the case for stainless steel. Right. It's corrosion resistance. It's critical. So yeah. that's kind of what you are looking for. Now, if you're an artist like me, pretty colors are sometimes what you're looking for. Yes. I'll often sacrifice rust-proofing for the sake of looks because of the chemical makeup of something like a 308 stainless. A little heat can result in some very vivid colors. But if you choose... If you choose, so like if I do a belt buckle or a money clip and you want that bright color on there, you have to understand that that's not going to last forever. It, in a clean, dry atmosphere, if you're not touching it, it will probably last a really long time with those same colors. But if you're wearing it as like a belt buckle or you're using it as a money clip and it's wearing, you're wearing down that layer of oxide every time you use it. So it sure. dulls the colors a little bit. And the other even if you don't, if it's in a like a, a wet or a salty atmosphere, it's going to rust. It'll rust around the welds. The nice thing is, is at that point, you can, again, you can clean the rust off. You can clean the colors off. You can polish it, and it'll be corrosion resistant. At that point, it, it won't rust down the road if you use clean, the, the right material. So like a stainless brush that hasn't ever touched mild steel because the mild steel will contaminate the stainless or a chemical process where uh, it's not something that I've, I did it a long time ago, but basically like if you go, I'm going to mention him later too, but uh, Dabs Wellington on Instagram, Sean, he's taken kind of this art form and taking it to another level. uh, But he messes around a lot with a chemical. uh, It's almost like it's a brush. It's an electric brush that has chemicals in it. And you swipe it along the colors and they just disappear. And then you've got a stainless steel that's, again, passivated so that the chromium has kind of actively made that layer of corrosion resistance again. Interesting. Yeah. Let's talk about titanium now. The story behind titanium is kind of the same thing, but with one big difference. Instead of just compromising corrosion resistance, atmospheric contamination can actually affect the integrity of the weld and the base metal drastically at room temperature titanium reacts with oxygen to form titanium dioxide it's very protective it's not gonna oxidize any farther at room temperature it's you know you've got a nice piece of titanium there that's not gonna rust in half titanium is strong ductile but at elevated temperatures it likes to suck in hydrogen nitrogen and oxygen so it reacts with our atmosphere radically much more radically than stainless steel will Titanium's famous colors actually come from these varying thicknesses of the oxide layer that forms due to this reaction. Again, like stainless steel. This potentially, and this is where it's different from stainless or mild steel, it causes an interstitial absorption and it can become brittle. So it's not just affecting the weld area. It's not just affecting the surface. Mm. What the colors can indicate is that the entire, you know, the entire area that's been affected by the heat is bad 
So there's no brushing off the color. There's no, you know, sanding it down and making it look nice. The piece is just bad. Mm. Uh, it used to be that was automatic for a lot of industries. Now that there's more, there are different types of, uh, of testing. They're finding that it's not necessarily true, but it's still a pretty good indicator that the heat-affected area has been exposed to the atmosphere long enough that it's going to cause the base metal to have issues, basically. So it's a symptom. It's a symptom of a bigger problem. So you can take away that symptom, but the problem's still there. Okay. So yeah, if that interstitial absorption, that chemical reaction, that structural change happened, the material just isn't good anymore. Again, it depends somewhat on the industry and the use, but typically you'd like the weld in the heat-affected zone to be a bright silver chrome color, or colorless, as you could refer to it as. Often a light gold color, like a straw color, is acceptable, and sometimes beyond that, but it really depends on the application or the code. Again, everything is dependent on what you're actually doing. There's not one catch-all that's like, it has to be like this or it has to be like that, unless it's in your specific uh, work procedure. The less color in titanium, though, the less chance that it is contaminated or compromised. So the caveat with titanium is a lot like stainless steel. It looks super cool when it's allowed to react with the atmosphere. So you're going to get a lot of super bright purples, super bright bright blue, uh, gold if you want, pretty much a lot of colors that are just attractive, a lot of hot rod and motorcycle guys will take their chances on material integrity and they'll go for looks instead because an exhaust pipe isn't holding up a building or you know it's not an integral part of holding the bike together so it's it's just something that looks super cool to have a blue and purple kind of tinted exhaust guys will do that on like gun frames too or uh pretty much anything they can uh there's a process called bluing too where they'll just use sort of a torch to uh oh yeah yeah to recap the colors are from a chemical reaction that forms layers on surface and how thick and opaque they are determines the color that makes a lot of sense so also side note if you hear weird noises in the background of this podcast that's because our pit bull is snorting and trying to find a comfortable spot and i tried to wrap her up in blankets and she's just not happy with it yeah she's not having it she keeps snorting and flipping her head so her ears i think she just wants to be a part of the podcast she's actually she just keeps getting yelled at today because she keeps doing dumb things (laughs) i feel bad for her it's not her fault now she's yawning because she's nervous she knows we're talking about her look at how pretty she is she's the prettiest So now going back to people telling you it's either heat or gas flow, it's both those things, but it's much more than that. And that's what we're going to, I'm going to try to discuss now what you can do to control or affect those colors. Discuss at me, Josh. I will. Let's discuss. (laughs) Surface prep. Did you remove the film or the scale before welding? Did you clean it from other external contaminants? How smooth is the surface? The difference of how a weld looks between doing it on a mirror finished piece of stainless and a piece of stainless sanded with 120 grit is tangible. It's a noticeable difference. The smoother the area, the less crevices 
there are to distract the arc. So the smoother the area, the better arc you're going to get. Makes sense. So it's going to be a just a a little thing that can affect the color. Obviously, materials like we covered. How the metal is alloyed directly connects to how it reacts to our atmosphere at elevated temps. Its size matters too, as a larger mass is going to disperse heat differently. So if you're welding on a two-inch thick piece of stainless versus an eighth-inch piece of stainless, it's gonna it's gonna trap and move heat around a lot differently, and that's going to affect the colors. Another obvious one, how hot you get the base material and how hot you get the weld bead. At the extremes, you can potentially burn out properties of metal or cause negative structural damage. Kind of like we were talking about with stainless earlier. If you get it too hot and burn out too much chromium, then you lose its corrosion resistance beyond even just the surface. If you get it below the surface, then it's, you know, it's not good. Or you could weld it so cold that the material never gets hot enough to react. Uh, And that's a lot of times where people come up with the weld is too cold if they see colors in it because they just assume that you didn't get the material hot enough when the reality is that it might have gotten hot enough. It's just a different material, so it reacts with the atmosphere differently. Sure. Or you just, that's what you're going for, and you pull the cup away and it hits and that hits the atmosphere at a different time than if you left the pre-flow or the post-flow, I should say, at like 10 seconds. That's another weird thing. So like the machines always have this pro set thing where if you have it set at a certain amp- a certain amperage, then it automatically gives you a certain post-flow of gas. I don't think I've ever used the recommended time because to me it's just a giant waste of gas. As soon as the weld gets down to where it's an acceptable color, that's all you need. You don't need a 10-second post-flow if you're welding a piece of, you know, quarter-inch material, three inches long with a eighth-inch bead. It's just complete overkill and unnecessary. 10 seconds is a long time. Yeah, it is, especially when you're sitting there waiting and you're holding the torch over the over the puddle and yeah. you're tapping your fingers and... Yeah, so it's that, that does two things, actually. It protects the bead, but it also protects the tungsten until it cools down because tungsten is going to react, too. It just reacts differently. If you're getting the tip of your tungsten, a purple or a blue, that means that you don't have enough post flow because you're not protecting the tungsten, and that is important. That can be critical. It's uh, So, like, the electrons, when... when but tungsten transfers the energy to the material. It's traveling around the outside of the tungsten. So any little discrepancy in the surface is going to affect the arc. That is why they'll say to sand or grind tungsten perpendicularly or parallel, I should say parallel with the length of the tungsten because you're getting, if there are any sanding lines, it's going to be with the flow of electrons, not against the flow of electrons. If you grind crosswise, it's going to cause the electrons or the electricity, the amperage to bounce off the little... You're going to not have as clean of an arc, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Filler rod actually comes into play here, too. Obviously, it's the metal composition of the filler rod, just like the base metal, but it's also size. A larger diameter rod will cool the puddle more than a smaller diameter will. So if you're welding with a piece of 8th inch stainless 
like 309 L TIG rod, it's going to affect the puddle. It's going to cool the puddle more than if you were using a 332nd piece or a 16th inch piece. Gas coverage, the type of inert gas, the flow rate, the pre-flow, which you use to purge the area, and post-flow, which you use to keep the area cool until the metal is cool enough to... I, I shouldn't say that it keeps it cool. It keeps it protected until... And that's, that's another misconception, is that the gas cools the weld. I mean, maybe, but that's not what it's there for. It's there to protect the weld until it cools. It's there to protect the surface of the metal until it cools. It's not there to be like a fan blowing air on the metal. That's really not what it's doing. All these things combine to affect the welded bead being exposed to the atmosphere. All of them separately, all of them combined, all of them play into that. There's a common misconception amongst fabricators that more flow, more cubic feet per hour. More flow. More CFH. I got zero flow. <laughs> Just kidding. I can spit game with the best. Can you rap about this? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, chicka, chicka, chicka. Welding stainless. <laughs> That's me with the turntable. I wish like you would have just had a photo of your face. Stainless titanium. We're welding to blow your cranium. <laughs> you hear what I said? We're going to get those colors blue, purple, and red. Even if your name is Ned Flanders, <laughs> you'll be able to clean the colors with your sanders. <laughs> I'm going to drop the mic now because I have to finish this podcast. But how? By explaining the rest of this. <laughs> so, you want just enough flow to protect the heated metal from the atmosphere relative to the standards you're welding to. Anything more and you're wasting gas and you could be causing turbulence in the arc and the puddle. Because you're pushing more gas through, the gas is affecting, like, basically... It's like taking a fan and blowing it on water. You see the ripples? You don't really want that. Actually, that's probably not a good description at all. But the gas is being forced out of the cup, and if it's going directly into the puddle, it could disturb it. And that's not a good thing. Disturb it? Disturb. The gas flow needed could be different for every job, but as long as you're getting just enough to cover the weld and heat affected zone until it's below the contamination temperature, you're good to go. Like, I'll usually, if I'm, a lot of times I'll just know where to set it, but if I'm doing something new, I'll run some practice speeds, and I'll keep turning the gas down until it gets contaminated, and then you just turn it back up a little bit, and that's where you want to be. That's, you're good there. There might be some instances where you're not going to get the same amount of colors, or you might get different colors, but if you're just doing it to make a nice weld, to make a good weld, that's all you need. You just need enough coverage to protect the material. Nothing more than that. Gas isn't that expensive, but it's a pain to go get your bottles refilled. And it's a, it's just a hassle. So I like Not to... Not when you have your wife do it. It's so oh, easy. Oh, yeah, that is true. That is very easy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I'll, use, I'll actually use a gas lens, which is a... It's just a more efficient way of... So you've got your cup, 
which has a typical collet and collet lens, or I'm sorry, collet, collet body, and a cup. And you put the tungsten in the torch through those, and the gas flows through them. If you're a welder, you know them. You'll know what I'm talking about. If you're not, you'll just probably Google it. Yeah, Google it. <laughs> but there's another type of cup. It's called a gas lens, and instead of the gas coming out of the collet into the cup, wait, explain what is a collet. A collet is it holds the tungsten and piece in the torch. A collet body screws into the torch. Behind that, there's a collet. And you put the tungsten through those, and then you put the backing cap on the torch and tighten it down, and it holds the tungsten in place. The collet body also has holes in it where the gas flows out of. Okay. But it's a very, it's just like however the gas comes out, it comes out. You get a gas lens, and there's actually a little screen, and it smooths out the flow of the gas. So you can use less gas, or you just get better coverage. Personally, I use it to minimize how much gas I use. Uh, a lot of guys still run at high, high flow because they think it might help their colors. In some rare instances, it might. A lot of times, a lot of welders aren't even going to know the difference. There's that 1% that will, that are really on top of things. But to me, it's not, I, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things I don't, it's like when you were a kid and you took out your mom's minivan and you're like, oh, I'm going to put race gas in it. And you put like 110 octane fuel in it and it destroys the engine <laughs> or it just doesn't feel like it knocks. It makes, you know, the, the, did you do this, Josh? We never had a minivan, but that's true. Anyways, <laughs> you think more is better. Higher octane is better. The, the problem is the engine was designed for 87 octane. So it's. The air fuel, the the way it burns is a different temperature, so it's not good for the engine. To me, that's like gas flow. Too much gas flow, you might think it's a better thing, but in reality, it might just be causing issues with disturbing the puddle and other things. So that's kind of my, my little analogy for that. The gas flow needed could be different for every job, but as long as you're getting just enough to cover the weld in the heat-affected zone until it's below the contamination temperature, you're you're good to go. In some cases, that might mean welding in a chamber. Like they'll have actually uh, chambers that are protected from the outside atmosphere that you flood with an inert gas and you stick your hands through in these gloves and you weld in this isolated chamber. Cool. Yeah, they do uh, a lot of like really critical titanium that way. That way the entire part is being shielded. Uh, in other cases, it could mean using a back a backing plate or a backing purge gas so that if it's a thinner material or if it's just a weird joint, anytime the atmosphere can touch the metal that's heated up. So even if that's on the backside of the weld where you don't even see, that's going to affect the, you know, it could get contaminated or it might just, uh, believe it or not, that affects how the bead flows. It can, I shouldn't say it always does. It can affect how your puddle flows on on your bead on the top part uh, because it's not sucking through it's kind of a i don't know exactly how to explain it but overall it makes for just a better weld so yeah we were talking about the cup or the lens kind of described what the what the difference was this isn't it's just not about coverage it's about 
smoothness. Uh, it's just going to provide the, the lens will cause less turbulence and it's just a much more efficient method of delivering the gas to the weld. Another thing that can affect the colors is the arc length, which is the tip of the tungsten to the surface. The tungsten stick out, which is the tip of the tungsten to the edge of the cup, they'll have minor effects. Even your work angle does. But that's, that's the kind of thing that I can't say that this is what you need to do to cause this color or this will affect it this way. That's something you have to experiment with. Changing the arc length could potentially just create a better, better arc. Uh, changing the stick out could affect how the speed the gas is coming in at the at the weld. Just kind of weird things like that. Just one of those things you're gonna have to practice on an art piece where you're going for really bright colors. Say you're doing a design, or specifically if you're doing a design, the angle that you hold the torch at will affect the color from the previous bead so if you're stacking if you're stacking beads the the way you're holding the torch whether it's angled a little bit away from you or a little bit just straight up and down it's going to change how the heat and the gas go into the previous weld so if you had a previous weld that was nice and blue if you hold the torch the wrong way you're going to heat all that blue out of it there's uh i did a I did a video with Miller a few years ago. If you look it up, it's when I did the, the Punisher belt buckle. Or actually, no. It was the American flag money clip? Or the American, American flag belt buckle. That's what it was. And I, I did it wrong, but it kind of gave a good example. The way I start, I usually go away from myself as I'm welding. And I did it the opposite way, and it just drained the color out of the, out of the previous weld. Why did you do it opposite that time? I just screwed up. Oh. I was on camera. I wasn't. You're nervous. I wasn't nervous. I just wasn't thinking straight like I ever do that. So, overall heat input from the amperage to travel speed, the thickness of material, pulse or no pulse, there's a lot of things that will go into affecting the color of the bead. There's actually been a study where it shows that high pulse rate, like if you go over 100 pulses per second in the machine, it will agitate the puddles like of a stainless bead so that the good chromium stays where it is and the contaminants come to the surface. And it makes for a more corrosion-resistant bead. And it also won't warp as much. One of the biggest reasons this topic has become so popular is because brightly colored welds are so visually appealing and weld porn has become so popular on social media, especially in the context I mentioned earlier, like in art or hot rod building. Tattooed metal is a phrase that Darla and I, actually, it was probably you, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. I take credit for it, though. <laughs> Coined about a decade ago as we were starting our website. It's a type of relief sculpture I've been messing with since I started welding in 2002. It's where the artist uses a weld bead to create a design. More often than that, they look super cool when displaying all the colors of the rainbow. It yeah, just, they do. You yeah. know, it's neat to look at i it's so neat fun yeah. stuff for an example you can look up some of my work on instagram i'm a at welder assassin or check out uh, my friend sean who's dabs wellington he's he does a lot of stuff on polished stainless and just does a ton of stainless work in general and he's taken the art form to an entirely another level he's yeah he's very talented very talented super funny dude yeah 
Yeah, I, I enjoy talking to Sean. Uh, there's another another guy uh, at Matthias Bros. I think it's M A T T I A S B R O S S, and he does these crazy portraits, like larger scale portraits. Uh, they're just they're phenomenal. So if you you look at those guys and see what they're doing, they they've kind of put a whole another twist on the on the tattooed metal thing. The best advice I can give you is practice and experiment. The information yeah. I just spit out might seem like a lot, but it all makes sense once you've been dropping dimes for a while. It's kind of like I was talking about the the metallurgy eat earlier. If you're mm-hmm. just jumping into that with no other base to draw from, it's going to be a lot. But if you've been welding for even three or four years, and then you're able to go in and listen to what he's talking about, you're like, oh, I saw that. I just didn't know what that was. Or... Uh, that reacted that way. Now I see why. It's kind of easier to go back. Like even in college, I I was really bad at studying. I should <laughs> I didn't study at all. Uh, and like I had a I had a sociology class, and there was this book called Warrant and Proper Function or something along those lines. Just really thick and dry. And I had no I I couldn't get through it when I was in college. But years later, when I was at Chrysler, I went through these phases where I would read a lot when I was at Chrysler. Like, we would have all this downtime. As millwrights, as skilled trades, we couldn't be on another project and then have production go down, and it would delay us getting to the, the problem on the production line because production line goes down, and you're losing tons of money every second. So we basically would just sit around the shop, and I would I went through phases where I played video games i went through phases where i read books i read then i went through the phase where i started brown dog welding actually it was before you know social media and it was before the internet was a big thing so i think the internet was a big thing already it was but it wasn't like on your i'm sorry on your phone it wasn't like mobile internet was a big (laughs) thing. oh no yeah yeah the internet was a big thing we actually had like an internet cafe at work uh but I had a little flip phone and I wasn't, there was no Instagram. There was no Facebook. This was, you know, two, started in 2002. There was no taking iPhone pics of, of your welds. <laughs> I have a couple. I have really? A couple of pictures, From your flip phone? Yeah. They're not, wow. they're not great, but it's kind of like, I did so much work back then. Like the whole, I've been posting like B.I.G. before Instagram. Right. It's like if it happened before Instagram, it didn't really happen. If a bear craps in the wood and nobody smells it, <laughs> what? he really poop. I don't know if that's exactly how that saying goes. I don't think that's how it goes at all, but okay. But yeah, I did, I, I did the majority of my work and my sculptures before Instagram was a big thing. And I, I used to be so prolific. And it's really frustrating now with the you know, the medical issues I've had to not be able to but produce like I used to. You shouldn't be so frustrated because now you get to share the things that you learned with others. And I think that many people are benefiting from that. Maybe. <laughs> hey, it's still frustrating. If not, then... <laughs> then this show isn't going to last. <laughs> We're just throwing some knowledge out into the atmosphere. Somebody's going to grab onto it. <laughs> Hopefully. So what was I talking about? Oh, so phases. So I went through a phase where I started reading a lot. And I Dostoevsky is my favorite. I love Crime and Punishment. I love yes. The Brothers, Karmazov. Uh, Tolstoy's okay, but he's no Dostoevsky. And then I started reading this dry, so uh, this you know, logic book, written by a dude named Alvin Planinga from Notre Dame, 
it was that warrant for proper function. I'd have to look it up. It's something like that. Yeah. And years later, because I had experienced life a little bit, and I was my mind was in a place where I could be receptive to what was going on in the book, it made sense. And I think that that's the case with a lot of things is you have to Absolutely. experience something at the right time in your life for it to make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, my dad, my dad was a factory worker, he, but he was kind of the jack of all trades, did everything on the garage. Uh, I found out years later that he was a pretty good welder. I never knew that, though. But if I would have been exposed to that as a kid, I don't think I would have been drawn to it. I just, I wasn't the right time for me. The right time for me when it was when I was 24 and working at Chrysler. And yeah. it just, it hit and it made sense. That's how the practice is, the, the experience is. You can hear somebody talk about it all you want. You can ask them questions, but the biggest thing is just getting out there and doing it and running pads and running just bead after bead after bead, messing with your gas flow, messing with your arc stick out, messing with angle, everything, material. If you use a chilling block or if you don't, like all these different things are what you can play with to, to affect the colors. In summation, <laughs> the colors that occur in welds can shock the senses and shock and awe shock and awe and stir your imagination <laughs> sometimes these colors are desirable sometimes they're not sometimes they matter sometimes they don't they're always telling a story it just does that story matter or not there's so many factors that go into it so next time somebody tells you it's just gas or just heat just kind of know what you're doing know why you're doing it what you're trying to go after and get after it yeah practice makes Practice doesn't make perfect, but practice makes really good. So go after it. Cool. I think that was some really good knowledge to Boom. drop. Boom, the knowledge <laughs> bombs. Colors in the welds. And I definitely, definitely learned something there, Josh. Thank you. You're welcome. You're very welcome. That'll be $10. <laughs>